Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Marianne Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. If you are enjoying Raven's Cove and would like a signed copy, you can purchase it or any other of the books in the Iconoclast series at www.maryannpoll.com. Here's the prologue from Raven's Cove. If you are at home, grab your favorite drink and settle into your favorite listening spot. If you are on the road, please stay safe. In either event, enjoy. The Legend Wakes, May 1778. Seaman Sweeney Giles lay stock still in a thicket beneath a stand of leaf bare birch and willow trees. The full moon silhouetted the HMS Resolution and HMS Discovery spotlighting their open masts. Even at this distance, he heard the familiar sound of the ship's sails snapping and the halyards thumping in an increasing wind. The resolution bobbed and pulled on its restraining anchors, mimicked seconds later by its consort ship, ready to be gone from this dark place. They's be looking for me for sure, he muttered to the twisted stump of a long dead, rotten smelling birch. Its offspring, along with several anemic spruces, surrounded the stump. Mr. Giles, a faraway voice called. Holding his breath, Sweeney, or Tooth, as the rest of the crew so nastily nicknamed him because of his large protruding white tooth, pushed up on both hands to locate the author of the voice. He's close, I'm having to move soon. Sweeney inched up to the stand of birch and spruce trees, peeking through the late autumn branches. Branches which moments ago danced in the calm breeze snapped backward and slapped him as the wind increased. They'd want to be set in sail soon. Mr. Giles, a different crew member's voice echoed through the wraith-like moonlight. Boots cracked the dry leaves and grasses no more than 30 feet to his right. Sweeney shoved, hands slipping as dry leaves gave way to slimy wet ones. He landed nose first in the decay. He jerked his head up and listened, fearing he would be discovered. No footsteps. Sweeney peeked through the tree branches. Faceless silhouettes dotted the landscape, black against the silver spotlight of the moon. The countryside to his right and left consisted of dead grass and marsh, which did well to hide his tracks when he ran to the thicket. But not now, he whispered. His shipmates were so close now, the crack of the dead grass would only serve to reveal his whereabouts. He jerked his head to the rear. An opaque mist shrouded the landscape behind him. I know not where I'm going, but I ain't getting caught. 
I am free at last. Sweeney's past flooded his mind. At 17, he knew far too much about the fear of pain and death. Guy Tilmuth saw to it. Every day of Sweeney's young life testified to it. But the torture ended with the death of the old man. Sweeney smiled when he remembered the day his father decided to lash him again, this time with a mare's halter. Sweeney didn't remember grabbing the pitchfork hanging inside the broken down shanty of a barn. He did recall small shafts of light illuminating Guy Tilmuth's hulk and the old man's face, sweat running into the wild, excited red eyes. All the beatings, all the venomous words spewed at him, all the preaching and drinking and beatings his mum took in his place crashed through his brain in a vengeful wave. He lunged. The pitchfork caught Guy Tilmuth in his gut, throwing the elder Tilmuth backward into the hay, dirt, and filthy wreckage of the barn. Glory, killing him were good, Tooth muttered, remembering the satisfying pop of flesh giving way to the fork. His smile widened when he thought of the smell of blood mixed with the dirt, sweat, and hay. Winded and shaken, he leaned on the wall, a hand still on the pitchfork in his father's belly. Recovering from the initial shock, Guy Tilmuth howled, stood, and made an unsuccessful attempt to pull the tool out of his body. But I are a vigorous one, Mum always said. In actuality, the fear of his father's rage renewed the younger Sweeney's strength. He loosed the fork and drove it in again. His bones cracked and the old screw gurgled a yell and dropped to his knees. He weren't able to speak, so his eyes pleaded with me to spare him. Tooth's sneer widened, the white dagger shining from his lips, old fool. He ne'er showed me any niceties. Turnabout is fair play. So I'd done him off then. I kicked the old man's head so hard it cracked. Guy Tilmuth fell with a satisfying thud. Tooth sprung off the ground and came down, both feet on his father's head. It popped like a melon, Sweeney whispered, reveling in the memory. All too soon to his taste, the cold reality of survival replaced the headiness of vengeance. Sweeney ran to the old, run-down shack of a house, grabbed a butcher knife, a shirt, a meat pie, and never looked back. When night fell, a shaking, tired, and disheveled Sweeney slept in the woods. Before sunrise, he bolted upright, hands to his throat and gasping for breath. The dream had been too real for his liking. He could still feel the noose tight on his wiry neck. Think, Telmuth, think. Tooth banged his forehead with the palm of his hand, then stopped. I know what I must do. Sweeney Tilmuth had none too much for brains, but made up for it in a shrewdness born from the desire to live. He found his salvation in a Mr. John Giles at the local pub on the docks. Couldn't help but overhear, Tooth said. Giles turned his head left to scrutinize this stranger. Repulsed by the razor-toothed grin, he swung around on the bar stool and concentrated on the dark ale in front of him. The disgust in the man's eyes did not escape Tooth. The rage rose. He took a deep breath to relax. None too happy about sailing, huh? None. No way round, though, Giles growled. Can't find no other job. The family asked to eat. Bad way, leaving those you love for so long. Giles grunted. He looked at Tooth again. What happened to your teeth? Bad luck, just bad luck. Giles scrutinized Tooth's mouth. Must be hard. 
The rage simmered to a boiling point. Sweeney hated pity more than he hated a beating. Deed, he choked out. They sat in silence, each in his own thoughts. Sweeney glanced sideways at Giles. Buy you another? Giles lit up like a candle, indeed. Drunk in no time, Giles leaned unsteadily on tooth and walked into the night with a newborn murderer, hungry for his next victim. Late and quiet, they rounded a building to relieve himself, as Tooth explained. Giles turned his back to give Tooth some privacy. Now's my chance. In one fluid movement, Tooth removed the knife and slit Giles' neck. He watched Giles drop to the ground in a puddle of blood, thrashing and gurgling in the final throes of death. He felt the power of new life fill him as he watched Giles, eyes glazed in death, become just a bag of flesh. Thanks much, Johnny boy. Sweeney smiled, black gums absorbing moonlight as shadows absorb light. Tooth became John Sweeney Giles and joined the Resolution crew. The crew called him Sweeney when they weren't demeaning him as Tooth. He became a sailor under Captain Cook to run as far as he could from the memory of the drunk, horrid man who fathered him. Irony raised its ugly head when he again faced a similarly cruel man in Captain Cook. Captain seemed fine enough in the beginning, but became a raging lunatic during Sweeney's first voyage. Sweeney cleaned the deck so many times a day his hands blistered and bled. No one ate or drank until Cook's specifications were satisfied. When they were allowed to eat, the crew was forced to consume walrus meat, which Sweeney could barely choke down and which caused half the crew to vomit. To make matters worse, Cook's obsession with the Northwest Passage endangered everyone. He would not rest. Cook sent the crew into storming seas in small boats at all hours of the day or night, any time his crazed mind filled with the fear of something unknown. Mr. Giles, Mr. Giles, where are you? The voices brought Sweeney back to the present. They's close. I's gotta move and fast. I can't let them catch me. I'll be hanged for sure. Using the palms of his hands, Sweeney pushed and slithered backward to into the ravine putting distance between him and the voices. Pain seared through Sweeney's left calf. He stifled the shocked scream. Any noise would reveal his location. He rolled to his side and searched the darkness. A blood-red arrowhead protruded from his left knee. The deep cut ran from right below the knee to his ankle. Torn pants gave way to a view of torn skin and muscle. He yanked the arrowhead from his leg. Sweeney examined the cause of his pain in the pale moonlight. He ain't red at all. Ye be glowing, he whispered. Tooth examined the arrowhead more closely. What be you? Are you black magic like the fools at home are feared of? If be, I ain't afeard. He stared into the rock. It be beaten like a heart, he thought. With each throb, it emitted a brilliant, violent light, pulling Sweeney into another world. Visions filled his head. He saw himself king of this barren land, all bowing to him. No one here to bow, he said to the stone. Sweeney shook his head and remembered the wound. He looked at his leg, gauging how much of his shirt he'd need for the bandage. Only a purple scar from calf to knee, the color of the pulsing stone remained. I'm getting crazy as cook, he muttered. For the first time in a long time, Sweeney felt terror, an emotion he purposely buried in his subconscious long ago. Foolishness, he muttered. He heard the footsteps of the sailors even closer. He scurried backward again. The ground beneath him collapsed. Sweeney found himself in an uncontrollable fall. I'd be dead for sure, he thought. He tensed, 
squinted his eyes shut and waited for the end. He stopped with a loud whack. A misshapen hag of a tree stood between him and the precipice. Its branches vibrated from the impact of Sweeney's weight. Thank you. The trunk creaked and bent forward, its bony dark fingers reaching for him. Crazier by the minute, he lamented. Sweeney checked for injuries. He recoiled in pain when he tested his right foot. The left, however, possessed unexplained strength and stabilized him on the sloping path. He heard his shipmates still calling his name. Relief flooded him when he realized they were much farther away. To his surprise, the chasm hid him from the rest of the world. In fact, the silence in the ravine reminded him of the midnight in the woods close to his home in England. I have no home, he said. Sweeney Tilmouth is no more. Tooth made a careful turn so as not to slip again and looked into the blackness. His right hand pulsed. He unclutched his fingers and smiled to know he still held his newfound treasure. Dark purple, black, and red swirled through the stone. How can this be, he asked. The rock's swirling colors hypnotized Sweeney. He again saw himself the king of this land, the one who they, whoever they were, were waiting for. He saw his subjects bowing before him, bringing him gifts, bringing him blood gifts, human blood gifts. Sweeney's mouth widened into a sinister grin, a sneer made even more menacing by the weapon of a front tooth protruding from his upper lip. He returned from this glorious vision to see a ball of pulsing light reflecting the stone's colors floating toward him. Sweeney swirled around using his left foot to scuttle up the ravine. He slid back to the hag tree, an invisible magnet pulling him farther into the black maw of the gorge. Trapped, he thought. The orb bobbed up and down and in a slow, steady pace advanced toward him, just as mom said it would when you is getting ready to die. No, the will of the wisp tale is the rambles of a crazy woman living too long with the devil man Guy Tillman. He pushed with his foot again and slid back to the hag tree. He fell, spread eagle on the ground, his good foot against the trunk. The orb came closer. Sweeney gazed deep into its light. His brow furrowed, then he relaxed. The orb is my friend. Counting his beloved treasure, he made two friends today. More than in my whole life, he said. This one confirmed he would be king and the one. He saw it reflected in the purple, red, and black pulsing inside the dirty yellow light. It stopped advancing and hovered over his chest. Its pulse and his were in rhythm. Sweeney Tillmuth, you will have all the power, all the respect you have always known you deserved. You will prey on the weak, destroy the ones who think they are powerful, and consume them to make you even stronger. The being dripped yellow light into Sweeney's welcoming heart. Tooth felt cold, all emotion drained from him. The creature pulled its members out of his heart, made a two-fingered hand, and pointed him deeper into the ravine. The jaundiced digits shot okra light out into the chasm of darkness. Below him, copies of the hag tree lined the path. I see my new home. Tooth's new subjects smiled in welcome, exposing sharp white teeth and flashing red eyes. He took a timid step forward, stopped, and looked over his shoulder. A small voice warned him away, nagging at him to return to his ship and go home. This is my home, my futurity, he announced. Who cares if they hear? Eyes safe now and could kill them all. Come for me, my mates. Tooth beckoned with his finger, realizing it oozed the yellow bony light. 
He looked at his chest and recognized it no longer. It seeped yellow, black, and red, which made its way down his stomach, splitting and flowing down both legs. He watched the slimy ebony substance absorb the mesmerizing colors. A twig snapped. Tooth spun around and faced the head of the path. He surveyed the darkness. As clear as if it were day, he saw a snow rabbit turning white for the coming winter. A sacrifice. He seized and devoured it. The satisfying crunch of the bones and the juicy organs refreshed him. To his delight, he also tasted its fear. The terror empowered his soul. Yes, come, my mates. Ye'd taste good indeed. He started forward. A brilliant blue light filled the darkness. One foot poised to step through the arch, he stopped in mid-stride. Tooth squinted, then covered his eyes with both hands as the glow intensified. The fire-blue light shot toward him. Tooth fell to his knees. Sweeney Tilmouth, do not go in. The voice rushed toward him, a cascade of thunder and music flowing over him. You can still return to the living. Who are you? What are you? Tooth croaked. The gooey yellow membrane retreated to a few feet behind him. Tell it to go. He is not your friend, it hissed. I am Raphael, a messenger of the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Turn back, Sweeney Tilmouth. Sweeney considered. The small voice inside of him spoke again. Sweeney, abide me, turn back, it pleaded. Sweeney danced, his weight on one foot, then on the other. I needs to think. He smacked his forehead with the butt of his hand in a one-two rhythm. The yellow being shot pencil-thin tendrils into his brain and whispered, Remember the constant beatings, the verbal and physical lashings. On you, your mum, all because you were given a drunkard as a father. The one this angel speaks of made you guide Telmuth's son. I am Gambogian, the voice hissed through the membrane. I will give you this land. I will give you power. The voice bounced through Sweeney's mind, injecting malevolent thoughts and visions. Hatred rose in Sweeney like a submerged boy rising to the top of the ocean. Where were this one when I were a boy? Where? He screamed. Cambogian pulsed closer to Sweeney, caressing his hatred. Raphael spoke. Always there, Sweeney, watching, loving. He does not will any should perish. You can still choose life. Tooth considered. I murdered my own father, another sailor, and a rabbit. If I can murder a rabbit. You can rule this land or hang. Choose, Gambogian snarled. I will not hang. Out of my way, Tooth said, trembling. I said, out of my way. I have chosen to never be abandoned by your God again. As you wish. The blue-white light dulled and Raphael shot to the sky like a rising star in the night. Good, Sweeney, Gambogian said. Excellent. Now go through the doorway to your new kingdom and claim the power which awaits. Sweeney looked toward the trees arching above the entrance to the flat bottom of the ravine. His hands sweated, heart raced. He hesitated. Go through now. My own kingdom, Sweeney declared and pulled himself up to his full height and stepped forward. The darkness absorbed all light. Sweeney felt something in front of him. Sulfur and decay penetrated his nostrils. The presence growled, then laughed. Who's that th there? I always answer a dying request, it snarled. My name is Iconoclast, and I am your destiny. Sweeney heard the moist sound of lips being licked. Sweeney turned and ran, but the darkness engulfed him. Somehow, he made it to the doorway, clawing at the hag trees surrounding it. 
He screamed for help, but his shrieks were silent in the evil one's lair. He continued to yell as he felt the first bite sear through the scar, now pulsing an iridescent purple. His silenced screams continued for hours. When Iconoclast finished eating Sweeney's soul, flesh, and mind, he belched in satisfaction. The arrowhead lay on the ground. Iconoclast scooped it up. His fingers curled around it. Good, good pet, Iconoclast said. The stone throbbed black to black and purred. Gambosian joined Iconoclast and Pet. Pathetic humans, give one an empty promise and we easily take a life. They laughed as Iconoclast tossed the shell of Sweeney Tilmouth to the top of the ravine. It fell with a sloshy thud. Sweeney's shipmates found his remains. They ran. They ran as if pursued by the hounds of Hades. None of the crew heard the growls and sniggers echoing around them when they sprinted back to the boats along the shore. And if asked, the crew would say they never found Sweeney. He just vanished. Yet all who saw him would be forever haunted by the hideous image of Sweeney's body seeping jaundiced yellow from his pores, black and purple goo from the eyes, and a skeleton smile on his face, and missing his prized sharpened tooth. Sweeney's final resting place never grew a living thing. The earth lay tarred and reeked a fetid odor as a warning for all who came near. It became known as Raven's Ravine, the haunted place. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash m-a-r-y-a-n-n-p-o-l-l. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.